two types of hate. We have, at the end of today's parasha, an extraordinary command. Here is how it's stated in this week's parasha. Remember what the Amalekites did to you. Along the way, when you came out of Egypt, where you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he is giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. The Israelites had two enemies in the days of Moses, the Egyptians and the Amalekites. Compare them. The Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. They turned them into a forced labor colony. They oppressed them. Pharaoh commanded his his people to drown every male Israelite child. This was attempted genocide. Yet about the Egyptians, Moses commands, don't despise an Egyptian because you were strangers in his land. The Amalekites did no more than attack the Israelites once, Um, in the days of Moses, an attack they successfully repelled, yet Moses commands, remember, don't forget, blot out the name. In Exodus, the Torah says that God himself will be at war with Amalek for all generations. Why the difference? Why did Moses tell the Israelites, in effect, to forgive the Egyptians but not the Amalekites? The answer is to be found, I think, in a famous Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, which says, when love is dependent on the cause, and the cause disappears, then the love disappears. But if love doesn't depend on a cause, that love will never pass away. What's an example of love which depends on a cause? That of Amnon for Tamar. He, fe- he, he fell in love with his uh, half-sister. And what is an example of the love that didn't depend on a cause? That was David and Jonathan. When love is conditional, it lasts as long as the condition lasts but no longer. Amnon loved, or rather lusted, for Tamar because she was forbidden to him. She was his half-sister. Once he had his way with her, then we read, Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. But when love is unconditional and irrational, it never ceases. In the words of Dylan Thomas, though lovers be lost, love shall not and death shall have no dominion. The same applies to hate. When hate is rational, based on some fear or disapproval that justified or not has some logic to it, then it can be reasoned with and brought to an end. But unconditional, irrational hatred cannot be reasoned with. There's nothing you can do to address it and end it. It just persists. That was the difference between the Amalekites and the Egyptians. The Egyptians' hatred and fear of the Israelites wasn't completely irrational. Pharaoh said to his people, the the Israelites are becoming too numerous and strong for us. The Egyptians feared the Israelites because they were numerous. That constituted a potential threat to the native population. And historians tell us that this was not groundless because Egypt had already suffered from one invasion of outsiders, the Hyksos an Asiatic people with Canaanite names and beliefs who took over the Nile Delta during the second intermediate period of the Egypt of the pharaohs. Eventually they were expelled from Egypt and all traces of their occupation were erased, but the memory persisted. So it wasn't irrational for the Egyptians to fear that the Hebrews were another such population. They feared the Israelites because they were strong. Precisely the opposite was true of the Amalekites. 
They attacked the Israelites when they were weary and weak. They focused their assault on those who are lagging behind. Those who are weak and lagging pose no danger. This was irrational, groundless hate. With rational hate, it's possible to reason. Besides, there was no reason for the Egyptians to fear the Israelites anymore because they'd left. They were no longer a threat. That's why Moses said, don't hate them. But with irrational hate, it's impossible to reason. It has no cause, no logic, therefore it may never go away. Irrational hate is as durable and persistent as irrational love. The hatred symbolized by Amalek lasts for all generations. All you can do is remember and not forget to be constantly vigilant and to fight it whenever and wherever it appears. There is such a thing as rational xenophobia. Fear and hate of the foreigner, the stranger, the one not like us. In the hunter-gatherer stage of humanity, it was vital to distinguish between members of your tribe and those of another tribe. There's competition for food and territory. That was not an age of liberalism and tolerance. The other tribe was likely to kill you or oust you, given the chance. The ancient Greeks were xenophobic, regarding all non-Greeks as barbarians. So still are many native populations. Even people as tolerant as the British and the Americans were historically distrustful of immigrants, be they Jews, Irish, Italian or Puerto Rican, or Mexican for that matter. What happens, though, is that within two or three generations, the newcomers acculturate and integrate. They are seen as contributing to the national economy and adding richness and variety to its culture when an emotion like fear of immigrants is rational but unjustified, eventually declines and disappears. But anti-Semitism is different from xenophobia. It's the paradigm case of irrational hatred. In the Middle Ages, Jews were accused of poisoning wells, spreading the plague, and in one of the most absurd claims ever, the blood libel, they were suspected of killing Christian children to use their blood to make matzahs for Pesach. Now, this was self-evidently impossible, but that didn't stop people believing it. The European Enlightenment, with its worship of science and reason, was expected to end all such hatred. Instead, it gave rise to a new version of it, racial anti-Semitism. In the 19th century, Jews were hated because they were rich and because they were poor, because they were capitalists and because they were communists, because they were exclusive and kept to themselves and because they infiltrated everywhere, because they were believers in an ancient superstitious faith and because they were rootless cosmopolitans who believed nothing. Anti-Semitism was the supreme irrationality of the age of reason. It gave rise to a new myth, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, a literary forgery produced by members of the Tsarist Russian secret police towards the end of the 19th century. It held that Jews had power over the whole of Europe. And this, at the time of the Russian pogroms in, of 1881 and the anti-Semitic May Laws of 1882, that sent some three million Jews powerless and impoverished into flight from Russia to the West. The situation in which Jews found themselves at the end of what was supposed to be the century of enlightenment and emancipation was stated eloquently by Theodor Herzl in 1897. He said, We have sincerely tried everywhere 
to merge with the national communities in which we live, seeking only to preserve the faith of our fathers. It isn't permitted to us. In vain are we loyal patriots, sometimes super loyal. In vain do we make the same sacrifices of life and property as our fellow citizens. In vain do we strive to enhance the fame of our native lands in the arts and science, or her wealth by trade and commerce. In our native lands where we have lived for centuries, we are still decried as aliens, often by men whose ancestors had not yet, who had not yet come at a time when Jewish sighs had long been heard in the country. If we were left in peace, but I think we will not be left in peace. This was deeply shocking to Herzl. No less shocking has been the return of anti-Semitism to parts of the Middle East and even Europe today, even America today, within living memory of the Holocaust. Yet the terror intimates why. Irrational hate doesn't die. Not all hostility to Jews or to Israel as a Jewish state is irrational, and when it is not, then it can be reasoned with. But some of it is irrational. Some of it, even today, is a repeat of myths of the past, from contemporary ver versions of the blood libel to the protocols of the elders of Zion. All we can do is remember and not forget, confront it, and defend ourselves against it. Our Molech doesn't die, but neither does the Jewish people. Attacked so many times over the centuries, it still lives, giving testimony to the victory of the God of love over the myths and madness of hate. <laughs>